0: I'll invite you to take a copy of the scriptures and to turn to John chapter 11. Uh, As a church community, we have been uh, walking our way through John's gospel for the last uh, year and a bit. And um, we have a couple more weeks where we're going to be in here before we um, um, take a little bit of a break from that and and return at at another time in the future. But we began uh, looking at John chapter 11 last week where... um, where Jesus uh, is interacting in a town called Bethany with uh, three of his very dear friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, these three siblings. And uh, we saw how Lazarus had become ill, and um, Mary and Martha had sent a message to Jesus. they had prayed and said, you know, the one that you love is sick. And it says that, uh, and and we saw last week how Jesus and John were really emphasizing the relationship of love that Jesus had with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It says, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Therefore, because of his love, he delayed. Because Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus so much, he delayed and allowed Lazarus to die. And so we spent um, last week really looking at the surprise of that, that we would think the way that we think of love is that uh, Jesus should respond to that prayer, to that message, um, by healing, by coming, by getting on his horse and getting his tail down to Bethany and healing Lazarus. But instead, Jesus' expression of love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus was to allow the illness to continue, for to allow Mary and Martha to experience great loss and disappointment and suffering for Lazarus to experience um, illness and even death. And we say, well, yeah, we we know why uh, we get that now because we we know now that Jesus was going to delay. He was going to allow Lazarus to die and he was going to come and then raise Lazarus back to life, as we'll see in the text this week. And uh, we looked last week at the reality of our resurrection, the resurrection uh, that's promised to everyone. And so We're meant to see our resurrection in Lazarus' resurrection. And so while the the space between Lazarus' death and resurrection was only four days, and the space between our death and resurrection may be longer than that, that that time is just but a a sliver of eternity. And so we saw last week how Jesus' love for us sometimes means that we're going through tough terrain. Through disappointment and suffering and loss. And that in the midst of suffering and disappointment and loss, we do not have to doubt Jesus' love for us. We don't have to doubt his love for us. The fact that we are in uh, times of sickness or times of loss, times of disappointment, is not an indication that Jesus has forgotten about us. It's not an indication that Jesus no longer loves us. But rather it's a sign that... Uh, Jesus in in those times of loss in those times of disappointment and struggle wants to reveal himself to us to reveal his glory to show his goodness and his grace and his compassion to us in ways that we really couldn't experience apart from those challenging times many of us that we know that that's part of our story is that it's in the times of loss in the times of struggle in the times of crisis that we have known the presence of God in our lives most clearly. So we're going to pick up the story in in verse 17 of John chapter 11. I'm going to read to verse 44. So on his arrival to Bethany, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is God's word to us. As we've been uh, studying John's gospel, this Greco-Roman biography of Jesus, we've seen that John has organized his gospel around seven signs that Jesus performs. This is the sixth, and in fact, the, the the final sign that Jesus performs. There's we talk about seven. I'm not making one up. The last one is is the great sign that's to come: the resurrection of Jesus himself. And so, um, in this sign that uh, that um, of, of Jesus is demonstrating, of course, his power over life and over death. He's going to be revealed as having power over death. That, uh, th- that even though trials and crises will come, that Jesus um, is revealing himself to, uh, to us as a God who is powerful, as a Lord and Master who is mighty over death, so that we can be enthralled, so that God can be glorified through this display of love and power. And so Lazarus is a recipient of a great work right can you imagine lazarus after this you we all have friends right at parties who you're any you know get together you're at i call them toppers that any story that you have they've got a topper they can top it right anything good that's happened in your life they've got a they've got something better anything bad that's happened in your life they've got something worse they can top any story right i think lazarus would be a topper right he'd come to parties and be like oh that's that's great to you know, I used to be dead, and now I'm not, right? That's like, he, he can top any story. I was dead, and now I'm not, right? That's, that's a great story. And um, But again, he had to go through. He had to experience death. He had to experience dying illness in order to experience this great display of God's glory and power and love and compassion In his life, so the text makes clear Lazarus is dead. Right earlier in the in the in the uh, in the narrative, um, Jesus says he's asleep, which is just a dignified way of of speaking of death. But had to clarify for his dull disciples that yeah, no, Lazarus was in fact dead, and 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 Mary and uh, Martha are saying, well, if we open this grave, it's going to stink. He was really, really dead. Four days dead. And so in the situation where death has spoken loudly, Jesus speaks a louder word. Lazarus, come out, and the dead man raises. This is a sign that validates Jesus' claim earlier in the passage. That's where I want to spend our time this morning, just unpacking this claim that Jesus makes, um, that he is, where he says, I am the resurrection in life. Verse 24, he says, so Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, John, in his gospel, also not only has seven signs, he also has seven I am statements of Jesus. where He says, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd, right? Well, here's this great claim. I am the resurrection. In the life. And I want to unpack just that statement and how this sign validates that statement with just two thoughts. And the first thought is this is that with Jesus, you never really die. With Jesus, you never really die. Now, this is an understatement, but death is a problem in our world, right? Death is a problem. We can get sentimental about it, we can speak in euphemisms, we can fight it off with exercise and diet, but death is this unwanted intruder on our world. We pretend, we try not to think about it as much as we can, even when it's right in our face, right? It's, we try to explain it away. And so people, We know, we go to funeral homes, and as we are staring, literally staring death in the face, we say things like, oh, she looks really well, doesn't she? She looks great, doesn't I'm like, I always think that's such a strange thing to say. She doesn't look great. She looks dead, like... She looks very dead. It's, it's, yeah, we put makeup on it, but death is staring us in the face. It's this unwanted, un, this excruciating experience. We, many of us know, maybe more even recently, the excruciating pain of losing a loved one, of knowing the pain of, of having a voice silenced around the dinner table, of having that, that space empty. You know the finality of death. In Jesus, in verse 23, it says that he was deeply troubled. He was deeply troubled and he was deeply moved. He was troubled and deeply moved. Which is um, a really uh, complex Greek construction of this phrase, deeply moved and troubled, it's, which includes sadness, it includes sorrow, but, but more than that, there's like an indignation, there's an outrage, there's an anger. That he's experiencing. He's saddened by the death of his friend. But he's also angry. Because he, he sees the collapse of his good creation. The you know, scriptures teach us that, that Jesus was there at the beginning. That all things were made by him and through him. Where was everything made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. He, he saw the very good creation at the very beginning. And he's now seeing the, the havoc that is being wreaked by death. Throughout his creation, he's outraged. And so Jesus is really dead set on destroying this destroyer. But he sees his whole world, his whole creation under the tyranny of death, and Jesus comes to conquer that enemy, to liberate his people from that enemy of death. You see, in the, the, here's what the gospel of Jesus really tells us: that the gospel of Jesus tells us that where sin is pardoned, death is powerless. Where sin is pardoned, death is powerless. In Romans 5, Apostle Paul writes, he says, as Sin entered the world through one man. Just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Sin has brought death into this world. Death is the sidekick of our sin." Death is the sidekick of sin. Death means two things here in the scriptures. When it speaks of death, it means at least two things. It means destruction. There's a destructive aspect to death, that death is the end of physical life and our bodies begin to decay. But more than that, death also speaks of a separation from God, a condemnation even before God. And so sin gives a voice to death. Sin gives death its sting, the scriptures say. Death comes and and says to you, I will be the end of you. Death says, I will be the end of you. I will cause you to be destroyed, that your body will be placed in the ground and your body will decay. And not only that, I will condemn you. I I, I will seal your condemnation because I will put you before a holy God whom you've rebelled against. That, that you have declared, we, the scriptures teach that we've declared war on God. We've fired the first shot against him. We've rebelled against our maker. And so God is, is, is um, we're, we're, we're on the wrong side of relationship with him. We're out of relationship. We've declared war on him. And death comes and says, I will put you in front of your maker. And you'll have to deal with your sin. And you'll be condemned. But Jesus came to save us from this, from condemnation. Right, The good news, the great exchange of the gospel where Jesus died for us. He died instead of us. He bore our condemnation. He was treated like we, he lived our life so that we could be treated like he lived, that we lived his life. That's why we sing, bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And so Jesus came to save us from condemnation. Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's now no condemnation, none whatsoever. It's all been dealt with. And so the condemnation of death, Jesus has come to destroy. And Jesus, though, more than that, wants to deal with, has come to deal with the destruction of death. Jesus not only died our death, he also rose from the dead. And in his resurrection, God is saying that the the price that Jesus paid for our sin is sufficient. He doesn't have to stay dead, and so death may say, "I will be the end of you. I will be your. Con- I will bring about your condemnation and your destruction." And Jesus says to death, "I will be the end of you. I took their condemnation, and you cannot bring destruction because in my resurrection, I destroyed you." so Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Those who believe in me will never die. He's speaking of, of course, about a future resurrection of all those who would believe in him. And he's speaking of the truth that when a believer in Jesus dies, that they are become and they enter into the con- conscious presence of God, awaiting a reunion with their body at the return of Jesus. And so New Testament writers all throughout the New Testament, they taunt death. Right? They, they, they mock death. Death, even. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and he's speaking of the resurrection that's to come, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The New Testament writers are mocking death. They're taunting death. Do your worst. I will not fear what man can do to me. What can man do to me? Well, man can kill you, but he will raise me in the end. And so believers in Jesus can actually taunt death, can actually say, do your worst. In the 1600s, 400 years ago, George Herbert wrote this incredible poem. And it's it's an anthem dialogue between a Christian and death. Again, 16, it was written in 400 years ago, so the, de- the, the language is a little different. But I think you'll catch the grift. The Christian says, alas, poor death, where is thy glory? Where is thy famous force, thy ancient sting? Death says, alas, poor mortal void of story. Go spell and read how I have killed thy king. Speaking of Jesus. Poor death, and who was hurt thereby? Thy curse being laid on him makes thee a curse. Death says, Let losers talk, yet thou shalt die. These arms shall crush thee. Threatening, death threatening. And the Christian says, Spare not, do thy worst. I shall be one day better than before. Thou so much worse, thou shalt be no more. Isn't that beautiful? I will one day be better than I was before, but you're going to be worse off, death, because you will be no more. The death and resurrection of Jesus means that death is a conquered enemy. Christians can taunt death because it cannot harm us, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And, Paul, and, and, and John would want us to see here, Jesus would want us to see that if our greatest enemy is a conquered enemy... If death, which is our greatest enemy, is conquered, is defeated, then all lesser enemies are too. And so this is meant to free us not only from the fear of death, but from all fears of all lesser things. This is meant to, um, to impress on us that Jesus has the last and the loudest word in this world. Jesus has the last and the loudest word, and he always speaks his last and loudest word for the good of his people. And so there is a resurrection coming. And so whatever difficulties you may be in, whether they're health challenges, whether they're relational difficulties, whether they're marriage, whether they're financial, Jesus has the power to turn those things around. He has the last and the loudest word. This um, story, I think, is meant to it's meant to get our hearts aching and yearning, longing for that resurrection that's to come. That kingdom that Jesus will usher in when he returns. This kingdom of righteousness and joy and peace. That the scriptures teach us that God is moving all things towards a point in history called the great day. The great day of Jesus' return. We call the study of, this, of, the, of that day and, and the kingdom that's coming. We call that the study in theology, we call that eschatology. What is what's at the end of all things? And the scriptures say that when Jesus returns, that that God is going to heal his broken creation, that all things will be renewed, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth established, that his broken creation will be fully and finally healed, that there will be an end to all sickness and all suffering and oppression and injustice and cruelty and rebellion against all that is good and right and true, that that will all be done away with. That everything and everyone that would oppose the rule and reign of Jesus would be banished from that kingdom, and that his kingdom will be a, a kingdom of righteousness and joy and peace, and that it will prevail in that day. and And so the scriptures speak of this never-ending happy ending. This never-ending happy ending. And what this sign of Jesus is wanting us to see is that 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 kingdom that's coming, that there's an already but a not yet elements to that kingdom. It's already the kingdom is here and is among us. It's already here, but it's but but it's not yet fully realized. It's, that we as as followers of Jesus are meant to um, embrace the already but not yet salvation, the already but not yet kingdom that Jesus is establishing the already that 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 coming kingdom would make its way into our present experience it's already here and so when we when we think about eschatology when we think about that kingdom that jesus is coming and and what, what we're meant to do is we're meant to picture what that's like and see what that's like and believe what that's like and then pull those things into the present And so we see that in that coming kingdom, injustice will be banished. And so as the church of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we're meant to say, well, there will be no injustice there. And so now into the present experience, we're meant to work against injustice. We see that there'll be no more sickness there. And so we work towards healing and health and restoration and fighting sickness here. We bring those... Those future realities and the church of Jesus, followers of Jesus, are meant to reach forward and bring those things into the present, into the already. And so we we see that in the coming kingdom, that uh, that ignorance of God will be banished. It says the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the wa- earth like the waters cover the sea. That everyone will know God. And so so we we see that in the coming kingdom. Ingo- ignorance of God will, will be no more and so we work against ignorance of God now we want God to be revealed to people so that they, they know what he's like in the person of Jesus we see that, that, um, that there, will be, there will be no more tears there will be no more cruelty no more oppression and so we work against those things now that that coming kingdom would work its way into our present experience that that power of the kingdom would be exper- experienced and expressed Now, and some of us, I'm afraid, may miss out on the already nature of the kingdom. We see that with Martha, right? Verse 24, um, where where Jesus says to her, your brother's going to rise again, but Martha says, I know, I know, in the future. At the last day, he's going to rise again. And no, Jesus says, no, I want to pull that future, the future reality of the resurrection, I want to pull that into the present day experience. And so, Martha is living into, with, with a with an underrealized eschatology. He, she's not she's not embracing the already nature of Jesus' kingdom. So so um, we don't so don't remove the supernatural from your thinking. And so the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians. He says, "I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. I want to see the resurrection power at work in my present." experience now it's not just something for then and there it's for the here and the now as well that that kingdom that's coming that that resurrection life that's coming i want to begin to experience it here and now but on the other hand there's a not yet element to the kingdom it's already but not yet it's not fully realized the kingdom of God will not be fully ushered in until Jesus returns, until, the, until we receive new bodies, until sin is fully dealt with. And so Paul says, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. We know that in the coming kingdom, suffering will be banished, and yet in our present reality, suffering is still remains. And so, some of us may um, struggle with an over-realized eschatology. If, if failing to embrace the already nature is an underrealized, maybe failing to m- embrace the not yet nature of the kingdom is an under is an overrealized eschatology. That we think that all that is there should be in the here and the now. That there should be no more sickness. There, there. That God is always wanting us to be healthy, wealthy, and um, and and prosperous and flourishing. That, and so I think that's the the. That's the um, downfall of the prosperity gospel, that um, that many would proclaim today. Is that they fail to realize the, the distinction between the now and the then. Yes, some. Yes, already, but not yet fully. Not yet fully. And what can happen in those kinds of situations where, where, we, where we have that over-realized eschatology and we think that that future kingdom, that all that's true there should be true of me here and now, is that when problems do come, when I do get sick, when I do have financial difficulty, when, when, when a loved one does die, that we can start to say, well, something, something must be wrong with me. There must be a lack of faith in my life. It must be a sin issue in my life. Well, no, sometimes... The way of Jesus is for in the here and the now for us to experience his presence. Um, in persevering grace to come through these struggles. I see this illustrated beautifully in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, sometimes called the Hall of Fame of Faith. Because it's this litany of men and women who have uh, lived their lives uh, with faith in God. And, and expressed their, their life you know, uh, of faith. And So listen to these words from Hebrews 11 of these people who have walked by faith. Verse 32, it says, what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. So I've listed a bunch, and I don't even have time to tell you about all these guys who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength. And became powerful in battle and routed foreign army, armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. This, this, All these powerful things, the kingdom, those future realities of the kingdom of God conquering and, and, and success and healing and resurrection. All those future realities into the present. But it continues. I stopped halfway through verse 35. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. And these were all commended for their faith. There's the not yet, right? It wasn't. It wasn't like sometimes if we if we can just focus in on the power and the and the successes and the if I'm really following God, my life should be free of pain. So this kingdom that Jesus is ushering in is already, but it's not yet. And as a church, I think we need to embrace both of those aspects that that we want to see that resurrection power at work in our lives and in our church community. And in this broader community, and we expect to see God move in powerful ways. And yet it's not yet fully come. It's not here in its fullness. So God will sometimes pr- provide for us with supernatural power, and sometimes he'll provide with us provide for us with supernatural perseverance in the midst of difficulty and loss and disappointment and suffering. And in both of those situations, he's giving us more an experience of more of himself, which is the best thing that he could give us. Experience of being satisfied with him. So that was a long way of saying, with Jesus, you never really die. With Jesus, you never really die. Second, shorter point would be that without Jesus, you never really live. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and I am the life. I'm the life. That there is a kind of life that starts even now. There is a new quality of life. Eternal life doesn't only await you. Eternal life, according to Jesus, begins now. The scriptures teach that we're born in sin. We're dead. Spiritually dead. Void of God's spirit. But Jesus came to bring new life. To give us a new heart. To give us a new love. To give us new motivations. To give us a new capacity to be all that God envisions for us to be in that great um, theatrical masterpiece pirates of the caribbean uh, just be careful it's rated r <laughs> you can't do a pirate joke without <laughs> can't talk about pirates captain barbossa is neither alive or dead he's this in between state right with a curse on him he says for for too long, I've been parched of thirst and unable to quench it. I've been parched of thirst and unable to quench it. Too long, I've been starving to death but haven't died. I've been starving to death but I haven't died. I feel nothing. Not the wind on my face, you know, the spray of the sea or the warmth of a woman's flesh. You best start believing in ghost stories, Ms. Turner. You're in one. You ever feel that way? You feel the shell of a person. You're thirsty, but unable to quench that thirst. You're starving, but nothing in this world is able to satiate that hunger. You have this gnawing, unmet ache in your soul. Jesus came not just to rescue us from the fear of death, but also the fear of never truly living. He's come to bring new life, real life, eternal life that begins now. Friendship with God, filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you ever have that ache? Susan Ertz says, millions long for immortality who don't know what to do with themselves on a rainy Sunday afternoon. Think about that for a moment. I never wanna die and yet I'm bored out of my mind, (laughs) right? Can you imagine an eternity of boredom and ache and gnawing, thirst and hunger, the love of Jesus, the work of Jesus is to bring true life that begins in the here and now, a new life, a new heart with new loves, new motivations, a new capacity and a new sense of what to do with ourselves a new sense of what we're made for to embody the vision that god had when he made us and so jesus resurrects he brings new life a new vitality a new new affections do you believe this so jesus asks martha do you believe this the scriptures teach that this is for those who would put their trust in jesus that he invites you to, to follow after him in a life of trust, of trusting that this is, this is the direction the world is really heading, towards a resurrection, towards a kingdom that will never be destroyed, a kingdom in, over which Jesus is the great administrator, the great king. And he invites you to put your trust in him, to say that's, that's what I'm going to stake my whole life on, this being true. I fully, I fully get how this sounds like a fairy tale, right? It sounds like way too good to be true. And and I know that there's many of us here, there's some of us here who are kind of kicking the tires on Christian faith. We're window shopping this thing and we're not convinced. We have doubts. And you're like, man, staking your whole life on Jesus returning in the sky and ushering in a new kingdom like that and a resurrection, that sounds like a Farce. That sounds like a fairy tale. And I get that. And and of course it, so, it sounds nonsensical almost. And what I'd encourage you, and I said this last week too, but just engage with the resurrection of Jesus. I'd, I'd encourage you just to engage with whether or not Jesus himself was killed and three days later rose again. Because if Jesus did that if a man can predict his own death and resurrection he's worth listening to he's worth listening to if those are you know questions that you'd love to um, that you'd love to engage with we as a community of, of faith as followers of jesus we'd love to engage in that dialogue with you in that conversation in that journey of uh of discovery of uh, who Jesus is why we actually think he's risen from the dead why we actually think he's coming back to usher in a, a resurrection why we think he why we believe why we're staking our life on the truth that he has power over sin and over death we'd love to engage with you we have these alpha groups starting this coming week and um, there's room in them you can join um, and you can talk to me if you're interested um, but they there's kind of a weekly meeting a no pressure safe place where you can explore the big questions of life, explore the resurrection of Jesus, explore meaning and purpose, those kinds of questions. So I'd like to close in prayer. Would you join me? Father, would you convince us of this truth? Lord, where some of us are living in fear, fear of death or fear of, of truly living, of never truly living, would you remind us of, and would you show us how, Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life? Lord, some of us are, are not fully experiencing the power of the kingdom, not really living in the power of the resurrection that you would intend. And so, Lord, would you put that power on display? We want to open ourselves, our church community, to see that resurrection power. And we want to be faithful, Lord, in, in bringing that future kingdom and pulling that into the reality, into the present day. And so, Lord, we want to be about church that's busy that a church that's um active in sharing who jesus is so that ignorance of god is banished and we want to be a church that's active in um in banishing injustice and oppression from this world and showing cruelty and showing love and compassion instead of cruelty and oppression and so father we're asking that you would make us into that kind of a people who have the power to forgive And to be gracious and loving, loving even our enemies and those who would would really strongly disagree with us. And Lord, give us also that perseverance to uh, go through struggles, to go through uh, trials that surely will come with grace, with peace, with hope. So fill us with the spirit of Jesus, we pray. Amen.